HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Learn more at square.com slash go slash in the sauce. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning our attention to how the global pandemic is impacting our mental health and how food brings us comfort during these times. I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo dining. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a source of excitement or like an activity to, to keep you busy. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, well, come in, we'll take care of you. Tune in to Meet and 3 to learn more about the psychological effects of COVID-19. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Moe, co-founder and COO of Cartograph, an Amazon-focused agency and brokerage offering outsourced e-commerce services and hands-on execution for natural and organic CPG brands. Cartograph creates custom solutions for their 30 different brands to succeed on Amazon, including Lily's Chocolates, Justin's Nut Butters, and Fourth and Heart. Welcome, Chris. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. I am in uh, Greenwich Village, and it's a little bit uh, tense, I would say. I can Um, imagine. Yeah, but, um, you know, trying to still work and build this company in sort of the middle of everything while being, you know, sensitive to the outside world. Um, are, you're in Austin right now, yeah? Yeah, in Austin, Texas. Um, I live about a mile from downtown. Right. And uh, th- there, there are some protests here, but but nothing nothing like what um, was going on in New York or L.A. or Minneapolis. Yeah. Or cities like that. Um, well, I was in Austin when I met with our Whole Foods buyer and loved it. 
I think everyone, doesn't everyone love Austin? I think everyone it's one of those places. Love <laughs> everyone loves Austin. It's kind of got um, something for everyone. I, yeah. I moved here from New York about a year and a half ago. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah. I was a eight-year New York City resident um, before moving here. Got it. And then, so going back, that's a good segue into sort of your 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 birth story, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what to call it. Um, you were born in Northern California. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then... Um, it, judging from your resume, I'm, I don't want to take a guess at what you wanted to be when you were little, but what was, what was your sort of dream job around like early elementary, late elementary, middle school time? Like yeah, what did you well, picture yourself being? Yeah. So I, I grew up in, in Cupertino and uh-huh. I knew I had a feeling something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> and so I basically thought that the only jobs in the world were related to tech. Right. So I, well, so I knew that's just like what I would do. Yeah. So, so I thought. Um, and so, uh, yeah, went, went off to school. I knew I wanted to be more on the business side yep. um, rather than development. So went off to school, um, went to Cornell and studied um, in their school of industrial labor relations. Cool. And um, yeah, then I did an internship at Google. Um, uh-huh. my, uh, right before my senior year, which was kind of like, what the, was that like? And how hard was that to get? I mean, like getting in college, getting a Google internship must not have been easy. Yeah, it was, it was relatively early in Google's life cycle. And, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a shot in the dark, lucky thing that happened. Right. Um, it was their second year of non-tech internships that they were wow. offering. Wow, interesting, and, right. And um, I actually, I applied. They interviewed me. They said, hey, we're not going to pick you for this <laughs> year. And then they, <laughs> and they called me back a week later and they said, hey, we have an update. Wait. <laughs> I love that. We're, I mean, you weren't in any position to be like, can you tell me what happened in between last week and this week? But <laughs> something clearly happened in your favor. Yeah. You know, I, I never really unpacked it too intensely, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure one interviewer who I really hit it off with. Um, yeah. Pulled after, for you. After the interview, after I got the no, I emailed him and said, hey, it was great talking to you, but I'm not going to work there. So uh, right. later. And I, I think he went back. Wow. And, and said, you got you to gotta hire this guy. You should find him on LinkedIn and be like, good choice, buddy. Well done. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> Look at me now. And this is, you know, like it's the opposite of, of the Julia Roberts, like huge mistake. Huge. Right. Um, right, right. So then you left Google while well, you graduated from college. Yeah. And did you go straight into consulting? I did. I did. I joined um, McKinsey and Company, the consulting yep. firm. Um in uh, straight out of college um, in the Stanford, Connecticut office. They, they have three offices in the tri-state area. And um, yeah, just immediately kind of found my way into uh, marketing and sales. Um, always kind of liked the, the tangible nature of thinking about how to grow consumer businesses. One of my first clients was actually um, Condé Nast. Oh, interesting. And they've had ups and downs and ups and downs. I feel they, like. Many, many. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was in 2011, which was kind of like the, the first time that people were saying print business was really dying. Right. Um, and we said, boy, you know, in, in five years, it'll be really hard to make 
all of your revenue digital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Kind of our, here's how you could do it, but it's going to be really hard. Right. Um, but yeah, that was, it was, a, it was a cool first experience and kind of followed that consumer track. Um, I worked in a lot of different industries, actually went and spent a year in Australia. That's fun. A surf apparel company over there. Yes. Um, and that must've been did, kind of fun and kind of oh, sexy. It was, yeah. It was, it was so cool. We, their office was like on one of the, it was right next to one of the best surfing beaches in the world. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. They, they had these cool offices. We, we all went on a shopping trip before our first day on the project. Yeah. So we would look less corporate. Oh my gosh. Appropriate for their office. That's amazing. So I'm, <laughs> I never really understood consulting until I got into the consumer packaged good world. Um, mm. Because there are a lot of people who were consultants who are either founders or, you know, leave consulting to join a business because they they get really into it. But it seems to me almost like a fun job in the sense that you get to sort of survey you get to sort of see businesses from mm. like a cross section and then go see their different challenges that they face because even the best and the biggest have challenges in areas. Oh, yeah. um, and do you feel like that kind of was what you got over those several years? Like just seeing different businesses, what they were doing right, where they needed help. I mean, yeah. what, what would you say is the biggest sort of takeaway from, from the consulting world? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things. So one is you do get exposure to a lot of cool, different businesses. I mean, in, in addition to the stuff that I mentioned, I worked with with luxury cars. I worked in contact lenses. I did a bunch right. of really, really cool education work, actually. Right. And, um, some of my most favorite work. And so you get to see how all these different organizations that have pretty radically different ways of, um, of organizing and working together, right. how they all operate. Um, and that's super useful, but I think really for me, the two biggest things that you get out of consulting is one, um, you really learn how to deal with uncertainty and mm-hmm. how to be the person who kind of says, all right, we don't know what to do, but let's, let's make, start making a list of things that we could do and pick from there. Let's figure out ways to break it down and simplify it so we can make some better decisions. And I think right. that's super powerful. That's actually huge. And that's huge today um, when the world is super uncertain, but it's also huge when the world feels certain, but it's actually totally uncertain. We just are like lulled into thinking that it's not. Because I think one of the things that keeps coming up with, by the way, this is our 80th episode. I just looked. Oh, wow. I know. Kind of crazy. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. He's been with me for like 77 of the 80. Wow. Um, Anyway, the the idea that there is, and this comes up a lot with founders that I interview, the idea that there is a right thing to do in a situation is something that you kind of have to give up pretty early because sure. there's so there's so many ways to kind of grow the decision tree. Um, but I think what the common denominator seems to be one of them for like people that have been very good leaders is that they are good at sort of breaking down the chaos. They mm. don't necessarily, a good leader doesn't necessarily make the fastest decision or the biggest decision, but what they right. are good at is breaking down the information into a path in order to make a decision. 
and they're good at communicating that with their team um, so that their team feels not only buy into the decision, but they don't feel like a lack of clarity. Um, you know, because no one knows everything and, and you can't, I mean, especially during something like this, like hmm. no leader of any company could be like, well, this is how we're going to handle this completely unprecedented <laughs> historical event. But right. here's what I know to be true. Here's what I think we hold valuable. Here are the right. things that I think we're going to start looking at. And then being able to sort of break it down seems to be the difference yeah. between sort of responsive and reactive, I guess. Totally. What can um, we do today? What looks like the right thing tomorrow? Right. What, what might the next week look like? And yeah. actually touch on what I think is the second best thing you get from consulting is you spend a huge amount of time thinking about how you communicate. Yeah. How you write, how you um, condense your writing. And, yep. And how you make really clear messages. And that, yep. um, that ends up being really, really powerful, especially in a world where we have so much information and um, there's so many different options. For me, that process happened when I wrote my cookbook. For you, it happened Mm. working at like the world's number one consulting company (laughs) in the world. (laughs) For me, it happened when, you know, my editor was like, yeah, this is great. You have to kill 40 to 50% of it. Right, so it fits right. on the page. <laughs> and what, I'm, I'm sure yeah. it tastes good. Right. And like, I'm sure you love, <laughs> yeah, you love that turn of phrase and you seem very committed to that word there, except that you don't need to say that word. You need to say half of that word. And yeah. what, what are you actually trying to say? And right. what's your point? Um, right. I and always that, tell, yeah. I always tell people that I had, I spent six or seven years having people edit my individual sentences. Right. Yeah. And like when someone edits, asks you the purpose of every word in every sentence for that long. Yeah. You, you just start to start to be a little bit. Uh, I love it. Economical with your language. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, but also clearer because like, what, what is it that you're trying to say? You know, even, right. and I think that does translate a lot to branding, you know, like what, mm. what are you trying to communicate? Number one to your consumer. You know, what are you totally. trying to say to a buyer? Totally. Um, and sometimes, sometimes founders will get like, it can be discouraging where I'm like, okay, so your product is like a chip with extra seasoning. Right. And they're like, no, 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 no it's no, so no, much no, more no. than that. Right. <laughs> right. right. That, that example, not talking about any brand in, in particular, but at the end of the day, especially in a world like Amazon, it, it's, I mean, Communication in the digital world is all about is all about um, economy. It's all about condensing. Like, what's the one word? What's the one phrase? Right. I love that. I mean, that makes me feel a little bit less like hostile toward the digital world. So we're gonna we're gonna (laughs) stick with that, and I'm gonna come back to it. So, how did Cartograph happen? Like, you were what happened in between consulting and Cartograph? Yeah. So. Um, kind of a classic founder story. So I, I knew my co-founder, John, from college. Mm-hmm. Um, he was good friends with one of my high school friends at, at USC, actually. And um, we, we sort of stayed in touch. And about five years into our careers, we reconnected. And I was doing some consulting for a coconut water brand. Uh-huh. Um, and this was back right when uh, 
fresh coconut water was like new on the scene in like 2015. Right. Um, and everyone was buying it and it was like the best thing you could ever buy for $7, which still right. is crazy. But, yeah. um, and he had built the first Amazon team at GE. In oh, the wow. Electronics division. So he sold power strips and oh. extension cords and light right. bulbs and stuff like that. And what was in 2015, I'm trying to remember like, what was happening at Amazon then? What, what like, cause it, I mean, I don't even remember when it became what it became. It's been like right. a frog in the hot water or whatever the expression right. is, but right, right. they, were they, were they the place where people went to in 2015? Were we buying most of our things like had the hardware store already moved over to Amazon No, or not quite yet? It, it really depends who you ask when they started right. buying everything on Amazon. But um, but certainly back then, no one was buying food. No, I mean, that, I think, I, that I remember. That I know. It was weird that, to buy food. Yeah, the things people bought early were electronics. I think that was one of the first ones. People remember like, ooh, Black Friday on Amazon. I'm going to get a mm-hmm. new monitor, yep. a new TV. And then I think toys were pretty soon after that too. Mm-hmm. And I think a common application became like home goods. These are, these are the stuff that right. work really well for e-commerce. They're right. Like relatively light. They're really descriptive and specific. Yep. And, um, and you and can so compare pretty quickly and easily. You can compare that way. Yep. and get the exact model that you mm-hmm. need, which is really important. Yep. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the, everyone has like a moment in their life when they're, when they were like, oh, wow, I can get <laughs> yeah. two-day shipping. And like this website's not the prettiest thing in the world, right. but it kind of works. And yep. that box with that tape comes on it. Yep. And it's it's just there. It's, it's a pretty magical experience, the Prime was, for everyone. I think, I think it really happened for people. Um, it's amazing how recent it was. For most yeah. people, I think it was less than five years ago. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, a lot of us who sort of like – you know, are like the Luddites in the room that are like still pounding our fists about like support your local thing and don't go to the thing. And, you know, like, um, we were, we, we dragged it probably a little longer than, you know, uh, than the rest, but okay. So he was doing GE, you reconnected. Yeah. And then then what? It it was actually fourth and heart, um, who you've had on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Raquel. Yeah. John met, um, Raquel's co-founder at a party Uh and and it was like the conversation was something along the lines of oh this this is a cool geek because you know every founder brings every their product to every party they go to ever right Um, (laughs) (laughs) wow this is a really nice jar of butter you brought to this social event right Um, (laughs) I have to say I don't do that I I don't bring my pouches (laughs) of fresh sauce to every party I go to but I have been to parties where people have brought their thing and I've been like, huh, maybe I'm not quite the salesperson I thought I was. But Yeah, maybe so, you need like a soft cooler attachment to your exactly. bag. So <laughs> like a backpack it. with yeah. some ice in it. Um, Cargo shorts. Like, exactly. Sauce for, or tool belt, you know, with like pockets for the sauces and I can just kind of squirt oh, them man. out. Um, okay. So, so he, so he, you guys had not formed a company yet. He was still, no, we had not. At he, he right. was still selling mostly extension cords. And right. so he said, wow, this is great. Can I get it on Amazon? And she says, Oh God, don't get me started with Amazon. Like it's such a mess. 
And so he said, let me take a look um, and see if I can, you know, clean things up for you a little bit. And, and clean things up you did, right? Clean, I mean, clean things up we yeah. did. Um, and so Fourth and Heart grew really, really quickly. Um, and and it, was, it was a pretty exciting story, too, because they were, they were quite a small brand then. Yeah. And, um, and, they and grew it's super geek. fast. And I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a new thing that not everyone knew about. I mean, right. even even today, not everyone knows about ghee, which right. is a, a, it's basically a clarified butter. Right. Um, where you remove the lactose. But um, it, it was perfectly timed because about that time was when um, Dave Asprey was getting really popular and Bulletproof Coffee was getting yep, popular. Yep, yep. Yep. And so all of a sudden people are like, oh, I want to put butter in my coffee. And right. and this guy on this tech hacker podcast, like not surprisingly, his audience is pretty um, tech savvy. Yeah. So e-commerce being a place that you can get your butter for your coffee. Yeah, makes sense. Know, oh my gosh, it's so idea. crazy. Yeah. It all came together. And then you joined up with him and once you kind of had the fourth and heart kind of not playbook exactly, but once you had success with fourth and heart, that's when you kind of decided there are other brands that we can be doing this for and let's make a company that does that. Yeah, that's exactly right. John called me right. up and he said, look, there's an opportunity here. Um, I think we should really build this. Mm-hmm. And, and so the thesis was, it was a few different things. So, so one was, you know, a bet on Amazon. Amazon right. is big. It's getting bigger. More people are using it. E-commerce is, is you know, a thing and here to stay. Two, um, food was a really big focus of Amazon. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you look at Amazon's total merchandise value, call it gross merchandise value, GMV in the retail world, yep. their, their GMV um, versus Walmart's. Mm-hmm. If you compare the two, if you take out grocery for Walmart, they're about the same size. In fact, by now, I think Amazon's a little bit bigger. Right. But if you include grocery, Walmart's considerably bigger. Right. And so that was kind of our like, wow, this is a place that they're really thinking about. They've been testing a bunch of the new ways to get food. But um, slowly you're you're hearing more stories like – Fourth and hard or nut pods, other things like yeah, nut pods, yeah, and water, yeah, all these brands that were really getting traction on Amazon, and then yep. in the in the digital acquisition world, um, if if you had the right product, it actually could be a really efficient place to grow. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about what the right product is and all that because you know I you have heard me, I have my my frustrations, but we're going to take sure. a break. Um, we're going to come right back and then we're going to talk about, um, for founders out there, for people who are thinking about Amazon versus direct to consumer or, and direct to consumer, we're going to kind of break it down as best I can being the Luddite that I am. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Square. Square has been working hard to help restaurants and businesses adapt by providing tools they need to be nimble and keep customers safe. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery. When we decided to open the cooking school back up as a contactless provision shop, Square made it super easy. 
All we had to do was plug in our offerings and pricing. We didn't need to contact anyone at Square. It was that intuitive. But I did get a call from a customer rep asking me how I was doing and how he could help. That meant a lot. It's totally free to set up your online menu and pricing and easy to keep updated. If you're already using Square Point of Sale, you can automatically import your whole menu online. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash in the sauce. I'm back with Chris Moe from Cartograph. Okay, so let's talk about, so it's very hard for me not to have my fresh glasses on, right? Because I understand that everything is going to be harder for me with a fresh product. So I I tend to go back to, I've invented this, um, I don't know, black bean cookie in my head. And I use that now a lot of times with like, (laughs) I haven't, but it's like my, my, (laughs) it's my example (laughs) of a product where, when I don't want to use Havens because Havens complicated. So first of all, let's just talk about is, would you, and I know you're going to, get into the nitty gritty on this. If I were launching my black bean cookie company today, Mm -hmm. would you recommend me launching direct to consumer or Amazon or both? And if it's both, how, you know, again, we're talking about not like a shelf stable product. Let's say I'm going to try to build some retail distribution, but grocery store buyers are, notoriously slower to move, payment terms aren't great. Obviously, everyone seems to be like cranking on direct-to-consumer and I have Mm -hmm. a product, it's like little cookies in a bag. What would you do if you were me? How would you advise me? to What would I start thinking about vis-a-vis Amazon? Right, right. So I think there's the, the... The question is Amazon first, digital first, or both? Um, and why? And and the answer that I'd, I'd usually give is usually both if you can. Um, okay. It's obviously more work to do both. Right. But, um, but the two sides actually serve two pretty different and pretty distinct um, use cases and audiences. Okay, and so great. the black bean cookie is a really interesting one because it could <laughs> potentially fall into two. Yeah, believe it or not. Thank cookie. you. you. You're onto something here. I'm so, really not. I have no interest in any <laughs> other product or any other RP. <laughs> um, so, so one of the things that, um, you know, an, an Amazon Pure Play launch is not something as common anymore. Right. You don't see it as, as frequently anymore. And a lot of that is just where we are in the Amazon lifecycle. There's very few categories on Amazon that don't already have um, someone actively selling into it. And so the sort of era of if you build it, they will come is mm-hmm. not as fruitful as it was, say, three years ago. Right. So okay. th- when, when you're thinking about launching on Amazon, it actually all comes back to that language point, which is who's going to be typing something in the search bar relevant to your cookie? And... Um, I've actually looked at both the categories of black beans and cookies on Amazon <laughs> quite a bit. Um, never, never the in- intersection of the two, though. You got me there. Okay. But, um, cookies is actually a really great, great category on Amazon. Right. Um, you know, not surprising. A lot of interest. You know, your your competition is brands that we know from stores. You know, Milano's, Tate's. Right. Um, there's a bunch of Keto's cookies in there. Keto um, man. 
Keto cookies. Like I have Keto a cookies. 17 year old daughter that's like, I think supporting several keto cookie companies <laughs> <laughs> and they all, they are all starting to look the same to me, but that's a whole other thing, but okay. They are. They are. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to be discoverable on Amazon, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that I'm also not selling direct from my own, right. from my own, you know, basement or what, yeah. wherever it is. Right. So with a black bean cookie, you'd look and you say, could I conceivably win some eyeballs in cookies or in black beans is my is my search term relevant enough and so if you do think you have an audience there and and you have the relevance to steal some of that share that's a really good sign for amazon being successful from the get-go okay interesting if that hypothesis is not as true say we were doing something like a okay i'm gonna have to dig deep here a like uh a black bean frosting. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Basically what I'm trying to get at is if you're teaching somebody that some something new exists. Right. And I like know right. thought about it any before. Fewer then, people is it is it as simple as fewer people are typing in frosting as are typing in cookie? Yes, and that's the weakness of the examples that people are actually typing in. Frosting. frosting. Okay. But but yeah, if, if you have a product that not everyone knows and not everyone knows the language to describe it. Right, right, then right. Then it becomes harder on Amazon. So a really interesting. interesting example of this is if you're anywhere near the natural products world, you've heard about um, adaptogens. Yes. Which are herbal remedies. There's, you know, dozens of them. Um, a lot of great research about their efficacy. They're kind of alternatives to a lot of over-the-counter medications for yep. stress, for energy, all that kind of stuff. And and people really love them. And um, there's a ton of interest in them. And there's a ton of, uh, you know, work being done on really cool products related to them. Right. The challenge with them is no one knows what to call them. And mm-hmm. no one knows the word adaptogen. Right. So winning winning the term adaptogen, there isn't any kind of like consensus on the language to describe right. the product. And so that's what makes it really hard to win. Interesting. Very cool. Play. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if you walk down the street in New York City and said, oh, have you heard of adaptogens? People right. would probably be like, oh, yeah, for sure. Right. But they're not going into stores or, you know, typing yep. into Amazon adaptogen. Right. No, um, that makes a lot of sense. So if I, so I get my cookie and mm-hmm. I want it to be on Amazon because I think it's going to do well there what's next? I mean, I know that there's, I know there are different channels. I know, yeah. you know, there's like, I'm fulfilling, they're fulfilling. Sure. Like, sure. What happens? So let's, let's first go back to your own website. Cause I think it's an important to put okay. that next to the Amazon launch. Right. Because there are also people, there are also companies where I've gone to click add to cart and it directs me to an Amazon page. Yep. And so if we think about how this, this language problem, this, how do you get someone to care about your product, um, direct to consumer advertising on Facebook, on Instagram, on Google, um, any other kind of social platforms, that's actually a more effective way to do first time, um, brand awareness. Okay. That's the place to tell people, Hey, 
you've never thought about a black bean cookie before, <laughs> but here's why you should. And here's why you should get really excited about it. And then that, that Facebook or Instagram ad takes them to your landing page on your website where you can tell them your story and yes. sell it to Typ- them. Typically, yes. That's the most common thing that's right. done is okay. if you're going to, if you're going to set up and spend on that side, the extra mile to, um, to set up your own fulfillment as well, using mm-hmm. something like Shopify right. um, is not so hard. Right. And so what, what happens though, is if you launch both of these um, and, and the conventional wisdom on this has changed a little bit over the last couple of years, if you launch both of these consumers are so well-trained now that a significant portion of them will see your ad be really interested then switch to the Amazon app right? and yeah. type in your brand name. Yep. And then all of a sudden you have brand awareness being driven by D to C ads, but then being split to two places to convert. They'll either click on it or they'll go to Amazon. And the, the old school way of thinking about this was that Amazon was this separate channel that, you know, people talked a lot about cannibalization that Mm -hmm. stole away from your own site. Right. And now we, we understand two things. One is that it's, it's really inevitable that people really look at both sources for information. And then two, the kind of su- thing that surprises people is we've done a lot of research on this with our clients and compared our customer lists between the two. And we find there isn't actually that much migration between the two. Interesting. So my theory, and, and by isn't much, single digit percentage. Wow. When you compare uh-huh. six months of orders, right. single digit percent will have done both platforms. Wow. My, my theory is that the, the Venn diagram of shoppers, of who right. shop on consumer, direct-to-consumer brand websites and yep. Amazon, the overlap is pretty small. Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because, well, so I have questions about that, right? So as a consumer, I like the idea of not having, you know, my black bean cookie from one guy, my keto cereal from another guy, my olive oil from another. I like having it all at least in one order. I know it's going to come to right. me in different in different packages, but at least I kind of can do it all at the same time. So I understand the appeal of not having, you know, everyone wants you to subscribe. Everyone wants you to join their mailing list before you've even like added anything to cart. Like it can, right. it can feel a little bit aggressive. Right. Um, you have to put your credit card down a lot of places. Right. Exactly. And then you have to like go find your wallet somewhere, you know, right. it's all a pain in the neck. But as a company, there used to be, you know, maybe this has changed. You wanted people, you know, I've never been in this position because we don't really have that capability so much. Like I'm not learning that much about my consumer by who shops on my website. Um, yeah. But the idea was that you understood your consumer more and you were able to connect with them in a deeper, richer way when you kind of, quote unquote, own that consumer versus having them get you kind of anonymously on Amazon. Um, right. But are, are right. companies kind of over that now, A, and B, from a cost perspective, you know, let's say the cost of the ad is the cost of the ad. Mm-hmm. Is it better for me if people buy directly from me or is it better for me if they've bought it on Amazon or does it kind of come out in the wash? Because maybe building on Mm -hmm. Amazon, 
you know, has other, it goes up in the algorithm or something good mm-hmm. happens that way. Like for right. me, people are always like, would you rather me buy the sauce from the store or from you directly? And mm. 10 out of 10, I say from the store because that makes the buyer happy. Right. It makes them want to grow me, expand the line, all of that stuff. From a sales perspective, it also happens to be better probably for me, <laughs> but, but right. not necessarily always, right? I mean, there's a no. lot of, you know, right. so, so break that all down for me. I know that sure. was a big one. Yeah. Sure, sure. There's a, there's a couple of good ones. So first, first I want to talk about um, owning the data. And then I'm, then I'll talk about kind of the, the margin story and the margin. Picture. Okay, great. So owning the data, this is another one that's evolved a lot. Um, and I, I think most brands would tell you that indeed a checkout on their own website where they control the total journey is definitely the best um, consumer outcome. Right. But I think the world is just not so simple anymore. So yeah. if you think of all the ways that, um, people interact with your brand between your website, your email, mm-hmm. all your different social accounts yep. in stores and on Amazon, you actually don't own all that many of those anymore. And I think right. especially the social side is a really important one. Yeah. We, we actually had an email guy on and, and he was making the point that you don't really own anything except for email. Right. right. Like right. And that's it's, your it's only totally true. true. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, you you have the distinct advantage on um, on direct to consumer of owning email, and it is really powerful. Email is the one thing on Amazon that you can't really get from Amazon. Right. Um, but but nonetheless, we do know that um, that people want to shop on Amazon, and so what we push right. our clients to do is just is to think of Amazon in terms of your broader total digital strategy. And so there's there's interesting ways to think about it that that get at some of your points before about, you know, why do people consolidate their orders or why, mm-hmm. why might they prefer that? Um, what might they be afraid about? So right. there's, there's two sides of thinking of this. There's, there's one, which is if a consumer on your website has shown some kind of intent to purchase, they gave you their email, they purchased once, but they're not, they're not checking out. They abandoned mm-hmm. their card or something. Yep. What we do with, with our clients is we'll send that traffic to Amazon. Right. Thinking, yeah, okay, makes sense. Maybe, they had, maybe they had a hang They'll up. be more comfortable, like, right. Right. And so that's that's sort of part of the thinking about the whole journey that, yep. um, you know, the life cycle of your, of your consumer, um, especially for a consumer products brand where, you know, a successful purchase is a lifetime relationship. It's not right. a, it's not one just time deal, one off. right? That um, you're okay with that moving between um, you know different different platforms of engagement. Yep, that makes a lot of sense too. Because I feel like just in the last couple of years, you know, the whole quote unquote omni-channel right idea that you have to be wherever consumers are, and mm-hmm. there's you don't. You don't even just within wholesale. You don't only do natural anymore, and then do some conventional, and then do broader conventional. Everything's right. like the lines have blurred a lot. Right. Um, it kind of makes sense that you wouldn't distinguish Amazon right. entirely from your own thing, and it makes sense that you would send people there. And and at some point, it kind of the the assets outweigh the liabilities. 
Right. Which is a different mindset, I think, than a few years ago. Because I remember brands were really freaked out by selling on Amazon. Like, totally. really freaked out. Yeah. Totally. And Amazon's come a long way. They've, they, they've made the experience better for brands. It's, um, you know, at the end of the day, Amazon is very much consumer-first website. Right. right. Uh, um, it's, it's best to be a shopper, but Amazon has made it better for brands to sell on it a lot. And so... Yeah. The other the other way that um, that we push brands to change their thinking of in this omni-channel ecosystem type way mm-hmm. is um, it goes back to that you know do you launch on Amazon or your own website or both? Mm-hmm. And so with some of our um, most sophisticated clients, we tell them, okay, we're going to measure the ROI of your spend on Facebook, and we know that if we spend a dollar, we might get $2 in sales. Right. But let's try and do some kind of regression. Let's do a calculation to figure out how much of that spend drives sales on Amazon. Right. Right. Because then you have, you, you're not just getting $2, that $2 for every $1 spent. Yep. You might be getting $2.5 for every $1 spent. And you're able to track that? Like it takes, it takes some smart math. Right. Uh, it, it takes some testing, but but right. you can definitely do it. And you can Back get a into good it. For it. Right. And it, um, yeah, it really changes your your appetite to spend. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. So back to my black bean brownie or cookie, and yes. I'm ready to launch. Now I need to figure out how to do it. Not only from like a logistics perspective, and that's when it gets into like. We've heard about Vendor Central. We've heard about Seller mm-hmm. Central. We've heard about Launchpad. We've heard about Prime and Fresh and like 85 different other things. Right. We've heard about right. all of that. How do I know, you know, a kind of back end how to do it? But then, you know, if it is all about sort of eyeballs, yeah. then obviously it has to do with my page, how my product is described the search words that I'm paying for, ads, all that stuff. So yeah. can you kind of break it down into kind of the buckets sure. that I need to think about with my cookie and then kind of a, just one or two sort of things to keep in mind, best practices, because each bucket is probably a week of podcasts, I would imagine. <laughs> um, so we're you trying to fit it into, you know, 15 more minutes, but... Sure, um, sure. Yeah, back end kind of through till till the you know beautiful um, content and infographics and images. Sure, sure. So yeah, I always think of it in terms of upstream to downstream. Okay. Which is all the way upstream is you know producing our products. So we're assuming we already have the product produced. Yep. Um, we're going to first talk about uh, kidding and pricing, and then operations and logistics. Um, which includes how you engage with Amazon. And then we'll talk about content and then we'll talk about advertising. So Ooh, this is, I love this. This is like, we're writing a paper right now. <laughs> it's that consultant <laughs> training. I know, but it's exactly <laughs> the way that I like to break things down. So now Perfect. when you say kidding, you're yeah. not like, haha, you're talking about <laughs> TT kitting, like putting yes. things. Kitting, so like, uh, yeah, your like co-packer a, sends a pallet to a 3PL and that 3PL has to break that down into, you know, into one something we can sell. vanilla and chocolate and strawberry in a box that makes sense. 
Exactly. So one of the hard things about food and, um, and and food, food on the internet is, is a very new thing. You know, we mentioned how the first was electronics and toys, but food's kind of like the last. And, And part of that is because, um, really because food has always been bought in stores and brand awareness has always been in stores. Yep. I always think of Amazon like the modern day Sears catalog. Mm-hmm. And the thing that Sears catalog didn't sell, they sold almost everything. They didn't sell food. Yeah. Food was always a shelf experience. And so yeah. um, there, there's a lot of implications of that. You know, the brand awareness question that we talked about earlier, but one of the big things is it's very rare for a food product in a store to be more than $5. Right. Most products are, are pretty cheap, especially if you're talking to cooking. Right. Um, so from the get go, uh, e-commerce, the pricing, it's hard to sell for something for $5 because someone right. has to pay for shipping in there somehow. Yep. And so the first question, when we talk about kitting, which is the act of making a multi-pack or a variety pack, we typically try to figure out a way to make a ten to fifteen dollar item. It not including shipping. Not including shipping. A ten right, to fifteen dollar retail price item, and then have enough room in the margin there to cover your costs, as including your shipping costs and your Amazon fees. Wow! Right. So that's why fresh is so incredibly hard because I shipped. I think your sauces were like 50 bucks FedEx overnight. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like sometimes yeah. they're, Best sauces I mean, ever had. yeah. <laughs> well, by day. the way, we did not make any money obviously on that, <laughs> but I mean, it's, um, it, that's why it's so freaking hard with a yeah. fresh product. Yeah, there are some consumers, time. by the way, that are willing to pay that because they want the convenience. And I think right now, For especially sure. during like COVID people are definitely like, yeah, avoiding the store. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you that's a great sort of benchmark for someone like create a ten to fifteen dollar item. Item. Yeah. Um, and, and then. Yeah, and so that kind of brings us to our next next bucket, which is the operations and logistics. So, say right. we figured out that there's a ten to fifteen dollar item. It's probably something like six cookies. Like, um, right. Six of my delicious black bean crunchy cookies. Very high end, very deluxe and luxury. Um, <laughs> adaptogenic. So adaptogenic. Yeah. Maybe a little CBD in there. Exactly. Not, not on Amazon, but, you know. um, so operations and logistics, typically, um, the, the most optimal item on Amazon is going to be less than one pound because that means as of today, on Amazon's fulfillment by Amazon network, you can ship it anywhere in the US for $3.48. Right, got it, okay. And so that's kind of the magic number. If you're below the um, one pound threshold mm-hmm. in, in Amazon, including, it's actually including, including all the packaging. Right, yeah. So it's actually 12 ounces gross weight. Right, um, interesting. Then you're in that $3.48 bracket. Wow, okay. And so we're talking about, um, you, you mentioned Vendor Central and Seller Central before. We're yeah. talking about Seller Central right now. And what, um, what does that mean? Yeah, so Amazon's retail organization is organized into two major, um, two major orgs, one of which is called Vendor Central, which is really their original organization. Um, it operates like a traditional retailer, 
where they engage with brands and then buy their products on um, Mon- on weekly purchase orders. Every Monday you get a purchase order for you. Okay. So that's vendor central. They, they work kind of like a traditional retailer. Um, right. And Makes sense. It, it was the first part of Amazon to be created. It's invite only. And so not surprisingly, okay. the brands that they um, engaged with in the beginning were the really big brands, right? Nike. And so they, do they, sorry, no, no, this ahead. is maybe a dumb question, but when you say they perform like a retail store, does that mean they're buying inventory from you? That's right. They, they make a purchase okay. order every Monday. Um, the right. pricing okay. structure is actually entirely different. They, um, it's like a retail store. They kind of have your marketing co-op terms and your freight terms and stuff like that. And you set invoice costs and then Amazon takes a retail markup as part of their margin as well. And what percentage of brands like food brands on Amazon right now are vendor central, would you say? Um, so it's a good question. In terms of, uh, in terms of sales, um, a significant portion of food brands on Amazon are on vendor central, maybe, okay. maybe half. Global okay. sales on Amazon is about 50-50 between the two. But right. okay. in terms of total brands, it's probably only 20% are invited to vendor central or okay. a very small I see. portion. It's the big ones. Right. So the big ones are, so my black bean cookie company would likely be a seller central brand. That's right. And seller central is right. Amazon's marketplace channel. It's actually, I think it right. might've been modeled after eBay or it's very similar to eBay actually in its origins, okay. which is anyone can come on and sell any product. And in fact, right. for the longest time, it wasn't even for brands. It was for me in my garage who had really good access to, <laughs> you know, some overstock supply from the hardware store that I would right. list and sell it online. And I knew a lot about, um, you know, the cert- this certain type of uh, hardware that I could right. get people. Okay. But then on Seller Central, they, they launched this program called Fulfillment by Amazon, which is now, I think, probably the most efficient logistics network um, for selling com- consumer products probably in history. Um, interesting wow. thing to say. But yeah, it's pretty... That is. It's remarkable that you can pay $3.50 to send anything in the U.S. In yeah, which... So there's it's almost like kind of in between for like... Just stick with me for a second. Mm-hmm. Like if Vendor Central is there buying it from you mm-hmm. and the old school Seller Central is like you're basically selling it yourself but through them, then that sort of fulfillment by Amazon means that you don't have to deal with the fulfillment part even though you're on Seller Central and you're not shipping it yourself for the most part. Correct, correct. Yeah, the, right? okay. their origins are important to know why the two exist separate and they still are organized right. that way, but but in practice they're doing, they're exercising a lot of the similar functions now. And in my case, because I am a perishable item, that like fulfilled by Amazon wouldn't really work. That's right. Fulfilled by Amazon does right. not have any temp-controlled warehouses. Got it. Which they're smart not to. That's a good indicator (laughs) of why (laughs) why you shouldn't have a temp control product. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Now going on to bucket number three. We yeah, bucket number three, which is uh, the content. Yeah. We've got we've figured out we're going to sell a six pack of deluxe black bean cookies 
for somewhere between yeah. 10 to $15 on Amazon's fulfillment by Amazon network. So right. now we're going to go on Amazon and make some really nice content. And do we have to also, aside from our page where we're going to have really nice content, do we need to buy words and ads and, you know, do sort of drive trial that way kind of thing like you would in a store? Yep, we, we do do that, but usually one comes before the other. So okay. we'll list it. We will, um, so we'll, we'll make sure we have really good photography of our, of our product. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Amazon has standards for their, their first hero image, which is, you know, just the product on a white background, but the images right. after that, you can have a lot of flexibility. So things that we always like to have are, um, infographics that describe exactly what the product is, why you should care, how it should fit into your life. Um, right. You know, this is this is the, your chance to educate the consumer on like why cookie bakers have gotten it wrong for all of eternity. Right. That black yes. beans are actually the right <laughs> the, the secret sauce. And then right. we always love to have lifestyle images um, with humans eating the product if possible. Right. Okay. Good. Um, good to note. Humans, humans eating, the, eating product. the product. We we had a baby food or we have a baby food client that um, when we put a photo of. Uh, a baby eating the product or conversion jumped a bunch. That's so awesome. I love that you can like just watch that happen. Um, yeah, yeah. And, okay. And so you'll have, you have all of that. You need to write some really good descriptions. Um, there's a lot of tools right. out there to kind of to track which words have higher search volumes. Um, Interesting. But, okay. but really the writing, um, it used to be a hugely gamifiable, um, you know, like, bullets are worth this much your titles worth this much amazon's gotten um gone away with a lot of that um or mm-hmm. at least obfuscated it sufficiently that um right you kind of put your be, be true to your um brand and really just speak in good quality descriptions and once you right. have that you're basically ready to launch and so you know your product assuming your products in amazon's warehouse it can go live yep. and people can add it to your cart and um and buy it and buy it okay we have one minute left um because matt gets nudgy <laughs> um if a company is not quite ready to sign on a cartograph um what are if you were starting my black bean cookie company today what are three things you would do just like before anything else make sure of you know be very mindful of, think about. Sure. I think the first is think hard about your kit. Have a one pound option, less than one pound option. That's less than $15. Super, super important and pretty easy to do if you're at that stage um, in your life cycle. And kidding is also not that expensive with a lot of three PLs. You can get it down to just a dollar or two. And often it ends up being better for the brand. Two is Make sure you have content you're really proud of and really shows how to use your yeah. product. You know, be, be thoughtful about it. Ask your consumers why they like it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can accomplish a lot on an iPhone, actually. Um, yeah. And some really light, um, you know, Photoshop. And tell, yeah. tell the story of how the product really fits into your consumer's life. Yeah. And then last. Which is great advice for everything, not just Amazon. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Think, yeah. Think about why it's, it's not just the what, but the why. 
Right. And then the last is really look at your data. There's there's some pretty good data on Amazon. Um, the, the framework that I think is really powerful is traffic and conversion. So traffic is how many people are visiting your page and conversion okay. is how many people who visit your page buy the product. Buy it, right. And so if you have, you should always be thinking, am I solving for traffic or am I solving for conversion? And um, Got it. from there, you can usually figure out what, what's the next thing you need to focus on. Wow. Um, Chris from Cartograph, I feel like we should have another episode <laughs> once you figure out how to get me on Amazon. <laughs> because we are going to crack the code. Yes. We are going to crack it. We are going to be a great fresh brand that you are going to be able to get on one of these things in some way or another. Absolutely. Um, but until then, um, I want to thank you so much. This is definitely an area that I feel like a lot of founders are trying to figure out. And it seems like it's reserved for sort of the venture back techie food companies, but it's not. No. NutPods was not anything of the sort. And they, you know, built a massive business um, on Amazon and it enabled them to go into all these stores. So it's, um, it's amazing having you on. And thank you so much. Thanks Great. for coming on the 80th episode. Thank you. Um, it's been an honor. Um, Matt, come off mute for a second. Hey, uh, thank you for being the best engineer um, from afar as well as up close. Um, and everyone listening, I've really enjoyed, I've gotten a lot of DMs. I thought that, you know, podcasts were sort of not as compelling these days, but I've gotten a lot of DMs lately and just emails from all of you. And I'm glad that it's helping. And I wish everyone lots of health and stay safe um, and keep building because this too shall pass. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.